Good morning. Um, our reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. Um, if anyone would like a church Bible, please raise your hand and these stewards will come and bring it up for you. And it is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18 in the church Bible that is on page 1184. It says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard and for you and those at Laodicea um, and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke and the doctor and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in, the, in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Wow, thank you so much, Alex. You drew the short straw there, didn't you, with the names? But you did a great job. Uh, just to say, um, before, so it's not forgotten or doesn't pass you by, usually our evening service is at 6.15 at our church centre, to Blackburn Place, um, but that would run on into an event I think some people want to watch on television. So even though it's totally against my principles uh, and my nationality, um, uh, the evening service tonight will be at 5.30 at to Blackburn Place, so you can come and pray, perhaps, for England. Uh, I think they'll need it, and um, then you can be home in plenty of time to watch the football, so uh, that, the importance of that will become apparent as we go through the talk. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there is a sort of cheesy but useful book that people recommend to you when you get married. It may have been recommended to you if you're married, called The Five Love Languages. And it's all about how people's personality, you give and receive love in different ways. 
So sometimes people, if they get married, or maybe if you're friends and you're moving in, you're being housemates together, you think, we know each other well, how to love and serve each other, that will become naturally because, you know, we're really on the same wavelength. But this book is basically saying, because people are wired differently, we give and receive love in different ways, and this might be useful insight for you, not just if you're married, but if you're having tension in a friendship or with a family member. So, say you live in a shared house, and you come home, and your housemate says to you, I've cleaned the bathroom. And you're like, oh, well done. Thanks. You know, good. And then later on in the day, I don't know, you're washing dishes together or some, something, and you start saying to them, I just want you to know I think you're a really brilliant person, and I think you're really great, and I really value everything you bring to our house. And they just look at you strangely, and you think, why? Are they looking at me strangely? I'll tell you what they're thinking. They're thinking, I wish you would just clean the bathroom. <laughs> now, what's going on there is love languages. That is, uh, people hear and receive and give love in different ways. Well, in this letter to the Colossian Christians, Paul has been saying, listen, you, if you trust Jesus, are totally and fully and forever accepted by God. You are loved by him and known by him completely when you trust in Jesus. And Jesus made everything and is bringing everything back to be reconciled to God. And so if you trust him, he's done that for you. Your life, Paul says, is now hidden with Christ in God. You are united to Jesus. And one of the things he's been saying in this letter is, you can't add to or improve that by following religious rules. You don't get closer to God by praying more or sharing your faith more or doing mission work. That cannot get you closer to God than Jesus has brought you. Once you trust in Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's as close as you can get. And so Paul has been saying, instead of working hard to get closer to God, which you don't need to do, it's already done, set your heart and mind on what Jesus has already done for you. That is what will bring transformation. The more deeply you know how you are safe and known and cared for and your future is certain, the more that gets into you, the more you will lose all patterns of jealousy and anger and fighting. And the more you will walk in new patterns of forgiveness and compassion and service. So Paul is saying in this letter, don't let anybody tell you Jesus isn't enough. Instead, let the certain peace with God that comes from Jesus into your heart, into the most broken and bruised, and hardest parts of yourself, that is what will bring change. But after saying all of that, this seems like a strange ending. Chapter four, it seems like a load of religious rules about prayer, about faith sharing, and then Paul's actually like accidentally photocopied his personal address book and put it into the letter. Weird place to stop, but I think what's going on is this. It's like love languages. If you set your heart, your desires, your mind, your thoughts on what Jesus has done for you, you will grow 
in worship to God. Your life will change to care about what he cares about, to put to death your old life and you're put on a new life. Those things happen as you set your desires and mind in Jesus. But there are some areas where it's helpful to know God's love language. Specific areas where dwelling in God's grace, setting your hearts on Jesus, sometimes it just doesn't sink into us that these things really matter to God. And actually he chooses two areas, and I think he's really right, where you meet really alive, really vibrant Christians, and they just haven't let this get through as far as this. One, prayer, and two, sharing your faith. And he's basically saying, those are God's love language. If you're getting into this state of setting your heart and mind on what matters to God, this is how he receives your love for him. Talking to him and talking about him, basically. So think of these commands in that way. There is no command you can follow that will get you closer to God. But there are ways God tells us you can express your love that you feel as you set your heart and mind on him. And so we shouldn't come out of this talk convicted, I must do more. But we might come out of it thinking, this should be the outpouring of thankfulness for what I have in Jesus. So why isn't it at the moment? So these points are very clever, but they're stolen from a book. So I just feel like to avoid plagiarism, I should tell you that. Uh, talking to God about people, which is verses four and five. It's a cliche that any relationships of any sort are about communication. You know, if someone stops talking to you, you will assume there is a problem in your relationship. So if Christ is your life, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, it makes sense, verse 4, I think, verse 2, that you devote yourself to prayer. That is just saying, make talking to God a central part of your life. And interesting, it's not sort of cloistered away, hidden from the world, communing with God. You know, this is not saying devote yourself to prayer, so go and join a monastery or a convent. That'd be a very devoted way to prayer. Because he says, be watchful and thankful. So he's saying Christians should have their eye on what is going on in the world and be praying about what's happening that goes on around them. And thankful. Honestly, bringing everything to God from looking around the world can be oppressive and depressing. If you just look around at the world and bring it to God. But our prayer life is interspersed with this overflowing thankfulness, which of course it would be if the fuel for it is this response of endless kindness and welcome and union with Jesus. God's love language is you talking to him. And devoting yourself to that is making it important to you, central to your life. I was reading a great book recently called A Praying Life, where the writer of the book said, listen, we all have sort of idle thoughts. You know, you're sitting on the bus or you are looking out the window. And what we usually do in our day and age is like, I'm having idle thoughts, I'll look at my phone. <laughs> I'm not against phones. But he was saying in the book, why not turn your idle thoughts into prayers? 
Why not turn your complaining thoughts into asking God to make a difference? Why not turn your happy thoughts into prayers of thankfulness to God just as you walk through life during the day? Now, if you're driving at the time, don't close your eyes. <laughs> but you can pray any place, anywhere. Turn your idle thoughts to God. Devote yourself to prayer. I am constantly shocking myself. Maybe this shocks you if, as I'm a pastor with the things I'd rather do than pray. I once saw a Christian leader tweet, <laughs> ironically, saying, maybe social media was invented, so at the end of time, no one in our generation would be able to claim we weren't praying because we didn't have time. Because we found time to do that. Maybe that's not you. Maybe your personal prayer life is really good. But if you're undevoted to prayer, I'm not here just to say be devoted to prayer. I'm here to say, set your heart and mind on Jesus, on things above. That will draw prayer out of you. Of course, there are practical things to sort about. When you pray and how you pray and all of that stuff. Start with knowing, setting your heart and mind on knowing that you're accepted by God, that your life is hidden with Christ. Prayer will, prayer will come. I, like I said, I don't know about your personal prayer life. The place that I do get a bird's eye view on devotion to prayer or not is in uh, prayer meetings. Hence, I want you to know the time of it this evening. Devote yourself to prayer. It is amazing to me. I mean, it's not amazing, actually, because I'm, I'm the same in my personal prayer life. But it's amusing, I guess, to me. The things that people would rather do than come to the prayer meeting. I mean, at least people are honest. You sort of say, are you coming to the prayer meeting? No, at that time I always do my laundry. Interesting. So, such a draw to the washing machine that I can't come to pray. I have important things to discuss on the internet with people at that time, that one hour a month. Or uh, I always make my lunch then. Oh, great. Just as it says, devote yourself to lunch making. Okay, yeah, that, that's right. Or I've been away for the weekend and so I just need sort of chill time. Mm, devote yourself to chilling. Okay. As it says in the Bible. I'm being sarky. What I'm saying is, of course there are times people can't come to prayer meetings. You know, I'm not here to judge that. People have to work and look after children. They have pressures on their life. But I think what I am saying is, if your reasons for not coming to pray with other people are reasons like that, you know, things that aren't actually important... I think it's fair to say you're not being devoted to prayer. If you find yourself pushing away chances to pray for things, for the sake of things you know matter less than that, Paul says, what's going on in your heart and mind towards Jesus? If your mind and heart are set on things that matter, well, they're probably not, are they? If you think, oh, I'd rather just have an evening with Netflix or whatever. Be cosy in winter evenings. Paul doesn't say, come on, pray more. That's the sermon I want to preach. <laughs> Get yourself to the prayer meeting. But he doesn't. He says, listen, think about what's going on in your mind and heart towards Jesus. Because the outpouring of that is devotion to prayer. Particularly God's love language is us praying for people trying to share the gospel in hard places. In verse 3, it's really fine and good for community to gather around you, praying for your stress at work and your granny's sore knee and all of that stuff. We must bear each other's burdens. 
But God's love language, what matters to him deeply, is people hearing about Jesus. There is a special place in God's heart for the person suffering because they're doing that. And God says they need your prayers, that they wouldn't give up, but still go on, speaking with clarity for the gospel. In our church, one thing that happens that's really great is that the small groups that meet connect groups have prayer meals where they talk about their lives and pray for each other. I am all for those. I hope you don't skip those weeks. But there are actually, in our church calendar, it's just the way we run it, only two meetings, a monthly prayer meeting and a monthly mission prayer, where we try and focus on these things that God says matters to him. The mission of the church, care for the poor, worshipping God, people coming to faith. Those are the times that we get corporately, of course you can pray anything you like for yourself, but corporately where we get to speak God's love language to him. To talk to him about what matters to him. Some people, I think, think about those meetings, but yes, you don't really get to talk about yourself at them, so I don't come. Now, of course, as I've said, there is no law here. There are very good reasons people can't make the times means I can't make any judgment about your Christian life by your attendance at meetings. Colossians actually like rules that out. I'm not allowed to do it. But I think what it says is, if I'd rather be doing something else than doing that, then there's issues in your heart and mind towards Jesus. You know, stick it in your Google calendar and come. And if you really don't want to, what's going on with you and Jesus? That's for you. To think through, be devoted. The one thing, I guess, when pastors give these sermons, people sort of internally think, mm, yes, you're right, I'm not really very devoted to praying. Oh well, uh, I've got lunch plans, wherever, just let it go, Elsa style. <laughs> Paul is saying, though, in this book, the one thing we must do is continue with faith in Jesus. And so if you're listening to this and you think, yeah, there is a little sort of symptom here of me not really continuing with that faith in Jesus, well, probe that. Think about it. Talk to God about it. Reset your heart and mind on what matters. Talking to God about people, and you'll see why I stole this, talking to people about God. This is going to be an easy sermon to remember, isn't it? If you ever hang out with children, they do this thing. That if they're into something, they talk about it. It doesn't really matter if it's actually the conversation you're having. It's particularly true, and one of the delights of being with neurodiverse children, because they don't play by the same rules by everyone else, they just talk about what's on their mind. And if a neurodiverse child does that to you, can I just suggest you roll with it? I've learned all sorts of interesting things about steam trains, astrophysics, all sorts of stuff, just by listening. In my house, we definitely had that for a while about Harry Potter. It's like, oh, we're, we were trying to talk about our days, but we're talking about Harry Potter again. Great. Now, Paul is saying that should be somewhat true of all Christians. He gives a brief interlude here about relating to people who aren't Christians, and he counsels the wisdom to be alive, to be open to every opportunity. I think what he's saying there is this. 
Be alive to the fact that people are much more open to talking about spiritual things than you think they are. And so when you have the chance, just don't let it sail by. It should be on the tip of your tongue to talk about Jesus. Remember, because your heart and mind are set on Jesus. It's not a weird thing for you to be talking about him. Like Harry Potter in our house. It's easy to get to talking about that because one family member is always thinking about it. And I think he's also aware that the reason so many opportunities do go begging is because we're unused to talking about Jesus. We find it weird. And so he says in verse 6, let your conversation always be full of grace. I think that's God's grace, the gospel, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Like my kids with Harry Potter, what they are thinking about, it's easy for them to talk about it. And he's saying if your heart is set on Jesus, you're dwelling in and loving and enjoying this new amazing status you have in him, let it in to what you talk about. If it's just something you're used to talking about all the time, you will be able to answer someone who's interested when the opportunity comes up. Just as someone in my family, if I could just say, you know, who is Severus Snape's mother, I don't know, cousin, they will be able to talk about right there because their heart and mind are always on it. Now, Paul views himself as the missionary, the public planter of churches. He's not saying everybody needs to do that. But he is saying every person should have this normal, everyday dwelling on Jesus that comes out in what they talk about. And I feel we have so much to learn here we are unwise often in this, this way, and we don't make the most of every opportunity. Um, Nick Harding is a pastor of Frontline Church. He's, uh, he's not retired, he's still working. He's retired from that now. And he's very, been very helpful to me on this. He said, church-wise in the UK, we've got into this thing with sharing our faith, where we focus on one or two friends or family members, and we really pray for them and focus them all the time. We're like, oh, carol service, yes, I always invite that person. But the truth is, if you've talked to them loads of times and they're still not interested, they're probably cynical and a bit bored of you asking them. Now, please continue to pray for them and look out to see if they become interested. Of course you do. But the thing he said to me, which I thought was really interesting, was the problem with that is there are loads and loads of people around you who have spiritual interest and they don't have a friend like that. And so they're ready to listen, but they just never get the chance to hear you don't have to know people well to be alive to that. You know, baristas, people you meet at parties, work conferences, the people who don't teach in your department but you might end up beside in the staff room. Now, we just found out this week that much more than even 10 years ago, there is less church going about in the UK. But that means there are more people who have never heard anything about having a spiritual life. And I think most people, when you talk to them, have more interest than you think. So be wise. Make the most of opportunities when they come. I'd be foolish here not to mention carol services, because I do think they're the easiest invite ever. It's Christmas. It's like being invited to a Christmas party. People don't mind being invited to carol services at Christmas. We are so much more timid than is really needed. <laughs> And inviting people to a Christmas carol service. So I just want to encourage you about that this week. And now maybe you think, I wouldn't know what to say. It will be awkward. 
I don't want to put pressure on the friendship. But it's interesting my child always knows what to say about Harry Potter because her, she always has her heart and mind set there. And if that's what he's saying is this, thinking and knowing Jesus, it will come out in conversation. It will also avoid us the awkward. Sometimes this is awkward. We think making the most of every opportunity is like, oh, this person's given me an opportunity. I must like crowbar the whole gospel in. So they've said like, oh, you go to church, do you? And I'm like, yes, I do. And it's because God loved the world and we all sinned and turned against God and Jesus died in our place and now he's resurrected and he's coming back from heaven. And the person's like, I was actually just asking about what you did the weekend. <laughs> but you can make the most of that opportunity, can't you? To say, yeah, I, I go to church because my faith really matters to me. It helps me in my life or... It's a really great community from people all over the world. You can make the most of that. Making the most of the opportunity isn't like punching people with truth they don't want to hear. There's uh, someone in our church who works as a taxi driver. I don't want to embarrass him by saying his name. And uh, he is just the model to me of this. He's like, I love being a taxi driver because you get to just do this all day. He's like, anyone who gets into my cab, I say, what did you do at the weekend? And they uh, will tell me. And then usually, if they're a normal person, they say, what do you do at the weekend? And I always say, oh, I went to church. And sometimes they just like, are like, closed on. Is that fine? Don't force people to talk about something they don't want to talk about. He's like, most of the time, people are shocked that someone in this day and age still chooses to go to church. You say, all right, why do you go there? He's like, and then you're off. Do a wonderful conversation. Uh, we once had a speaker at our church, a man called David Cook, who's a very sort of learned man, a Bible college professor, uh, knows a lot about the Old Testament and stuff. But I remember him telling the story about one day he sat down at McDonald's and the woman beside him dropped her tray and everything went everywhere. And he helped her pick it up and he said to her, oh, it's, it looks like you're having a bad day. And all this stuff came out, but stuff she was like, one of my children is very sick and... I've just lost my job recently, and yes, I am having a bad day, and now I've dropped my McDonald's. And he said, without really thinking about it, I just don't really know how people get through, through things like that without God's help. Because that's true of his life. He can't imagine getting through that without God's help. And immediately she said, I would love God's help. How do I get God's help? Now, do you see there, he was just wise. He wasn't like, oh great, someone near me has dropped their McDonald's. I can get her with the gospel. That wasn't how it worked. His mind and heart are set on this deep relationship of dependence of Jesus, so it just came out. Let your conversation be full of grace. Talk like this, maybe you think I must speak more. Really what I'm saying is dwell on Jesus more, set your heart and mind on him, and then let it into your conversation. Seasoned with salt is an interesting phrase. It's about distinctiveness. I think what Paul's saying there is this. It will ring hollow when you talk about God. If you're always joining in when everyone criticizes the boss, or all you care about is who gets the best marks, or if everybody knows there is a girl years ago in my Christian union at university and all of our friends knew her as the chief moaner. It didn't help when we wanted to like talk about Jesus. 
So he's saying, let your conversation be full of grace, but it should also be distinctive from the way people around you speak. Now, again, it's easy to hear all of this and be like, "Mm, yeah, I never let Jesus into my conversations. And the way I talk is the same as everyone else. But oh, well, I've, you know, got lunch plans. (laughs) Back to Netflix, things to do. Now, remember... This is God's love language. The important thing you must do is continue with faith in Jesus. And in some way, God is expressing here something in your life that matters to him. And you just don't care. Well, it's time to go back and think about where you stand with God and think about that. Now, if you think, I've totally been lazy and not bothered doing this my whole life. I never pray, I never share my faith, never think about it. That's the point of what Paul's saying. There's always a way back. Continue to believe you have fullness of Christ and your old self is cut off and set your heart and mind in that new life. Then let it into your conversation. You can do that now. Listen, if people around you don't want to talk about this, that is fine. We're not into making people talk about things they don't want to talk about. You haven't lost anything, but I think you'll be surprised. It's not a wise way, by the way, to act towards outsiders, to not know anybody who's an outsider. Just a little problem we sometimes have, a bubble. You know, retreating from people who aren't Christians and hiding from them, not a wise way to act towards them at all. So, talking to God about people, talking to people about God, and enjoying people because of God. Paul, the great servant of God, probably the most famous Christian that has ever been, apart from Jesus himself, finishes this letter with only one mention of himself, a brief ask that they don't forget that he is in prison for the gospel. Honestly, I'd have mentioned that earlier. In fact, I would have gone on about it quite a lot throughout the letter. Um, I would have said, this will really lean weight to what I'm saying. If I constantly mention I'm chained to a wall as I'm dictating this, But Paul's great concern at the end of the letter is not to draw attention to himself, but is to honour and encourage his wonderful band of mission helpers. I love this list. Tychicus, who is carrying the letter. He's a dear brother and a fellow servant. Do you know, if I was in prison, I might be tempted uh, to say, no, you can't take the letter to Colossae because I actually need you here with me because I am in prison. But Paul loves sending these people to the Colossians so that they can be encouraged. Onesimus, who we know from Philemon, is a slave, is coming with him. That doesn't even get mentioned. He's just a dear Christian brother. Three Jewish people get mentioned, and that's important because some of the false teaching in Colossae seems to have had Jewish origins. But the faithful church includes Jews too. They don't need to stop being Jewish or hide it or cover it up to fully belong to this movement. Epaphras, who is one of them, we know from chapter 1, he was the person who brought them the gospel. He's praying that they stand firm. That's a hint. You know, like, someone important is praying this for you. It's not just telling them about Epaphras' prayer life. It's like if I say, I'm really praying you'll stop dating that non-Christian. I'm not just telling you about my prayers there. I'm hinting. And that's what Epaphras is doing too. Luke and Demas are Greek, non-Jewish followers, 
And Nympha is an honoured woman who has a church in her house. There's no second-class citizenship for women in Paul's missionary endeavours. There's even a mention for Archippus in verse 17. I feel a bit sorry for Archippus. Everything is finished, it seems, in the letter, and then there's this postscript. Tell Archippus, see to it you have to complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. It's like, is that there for all time to tell us Archippus was a bit lazy? Not a complete or finisher. And it's in the Bible, forever. Archippus must be wishing now he'd finished whatever it was he was supposed to do, mustn't he? It's like, it's in Colossians 3.17 forever. But I think he's saying even someone who isn't like great at getting things done still has a place in this band of brothers and sisters formed around Paul's mission. Paul has said a lot about how there is no slave or free Jew or Greek now. What he's meant by that is when it comes to standing before God, no matter your background or your standing in society or your race, we all stand before God equally in the same way. But I think we have these verses, these lists of precious names, people honoured for their contribution to the mission, because there is no slave or free does not mean that individuality is obliterated. We all stand before God in the same way, and that creates an amazing unity where there's no competition between us. We're all one in Christ. No one here today is further away from God or closer to God if they're trusting in Jesus. We're all there, no matter where we're from or what we're like. But you don't stop being you. Your heritage is valued. It's why I did that thing of getting us to hear God is good in lots of people's languages today. I am very grateful that one does not have to become English to be a true Christian. Imagine that. No one would get, no one would get converted. Well, maybe they would. You'll love being English. But Paul is saying, we honour you and your service as you. Tychicus is not a nameless servant of God. And even if your temptation is to be a bit lazy, we welcome you into our family and call you to more. Not being a completer finisher doesn't make you less a part of this family on a mission than anyone else. You're a family member. Come on in and live it. Bring your personality. Bring your background in Christ. There is a place for you. I love that kid's song that we sang. Maybe you could tell. Love the way we're getting kids to like shout out proudly. We are the church. Jesus is the head of the body. The church is the place where there is no slave or free. There is no mark or sense at all that some people are more accepted than others. But it's also the only place that your personality, your heritage, your culture, your name is welcomed as a friend that contributes to the mission of what God is doing. We are the church. Have you heard? We're finishing Colossians today. And I feel a bit sad. I've enjoyed it. I've loved this cosmic picture of Jesus. He's bigger. He's more significant. He's more important than you have ever imagined. That means his work for you to bring you to God is more complete 
and more full and more utterly life-changing than you ever thought. See to it, Paul says, that no one minimises that for you by making you follow rules or have experiences or go through rituals. You see to it. You make sure. And continue. Continue today to trust Jesus, to live in him the, ver- the way you did when you first trusted him. Set your desires and your thoughts on your new life, which is safely hidden in God. That affects every area of life. And it affects prayer. It affects faith sharing. It even affects who you're friends with here in this room. People from other cultures and backgrounds. Jesus is so big. He leaves our lives utterly transformed. And God has arranged history so that Jesus will have the supremacy in the end. You died Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. With Christ, who will be seen as supreme. That is worth setting your heart on over everything and everyone else. And that will change it all.